with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. I'm Rez Krebs, your host for After 9. Today on the Friday Political Panel, we've got Eric Allen, James Steidler, and Art Betke. How's Steidler? Is that is that a better pronunciation, James? That's uh, that's the correct pronunciation. I've done it. I've done it right. I think for the first time now. Uh, we're going to start out talking a little bit about some uh, squawking from the Canadian Bankers Association. It's interesting because the uh, the bankers are uh, complaining about some new taxes that have come about starting in 2021. Although most of them don't come into effect until 2024. Um, these, there are three sets of new taxes on banks and insurers uh, that have been introduced by the federal government. The plan, they, they claim that these new taxes are going to actually net about $3.15 billion over five years. Um, the real issue that the banks uh, seem to be complaining about is that these taxes came in without any consultation. So the uh, the companies that are being taxed, the, some of the largest corporations in Canada uh, were not were not adequately comp- consulted prior to the announcement of these taxes. Um, there's also some claims that uh, these new taxes could raise the cost of borrowing and mortgages, and therefore have some issues, some 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 problems for uh, you know regular people, but also for the for the economy as a whole. Uh, Eric, what do you think about this this concept that we should be consulting those uh, you know stakeholders when when the, when a new tax comes in or or for that matter a new regulation well according to the article anyway as i understand it it's uh this is something they've done in the past you know they usually do consult with them and see what happens i think one of the problems is they probably get so few tax increases in that particular industry that they don't really know how to deal with it they got blindsided on these ones and now they're kind of crying crying to blues but I think it said the top five banks in Canada or, or insurers uh, make something like $60 billion in profit. So Revenue. So Re- that's revenue. revenue yeah, yeah, they're making over a billion each, though, yeah, yeah. in profit. So, so we're uh, – it's not like they're hard done by. And on the other <laughs> hand, you know, if, if they're going to talk about, uh, you know, the uh, – the cost of borrowing going up and people borrowing less, well, I mean, they can do that if they want but who's going to suffer if people quit borrowing? It's going to be the same people that uh, are saying there's going to be repercussions because uh, the cost of borrowing will go up. That doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to borrow, though. We might not, in which case they're going to lose more money. So there's all kinds of different ways of looking at it. But I, I'm really not up to speed on what goes on at that level of, you know, the and the uh, uh, the negotiations that go on between big business and big government. Usually they get that all covered off and it doesn't come to the public eye. And it's one of the first times I've actually seen it out there. That, uh, That's what I find so interesting about yeah. this is that that Canadian Bankers Association is yeah. obviously considering like a new way <laughs> of pushing. The, apparently the, uh, the Canadian Chamber of Commerce and a couple of under lo- other industry groups kind of joined with them as well to say like, hey, wait a minute, we don't want these new taxes. I mean, that $3.15 billion over five years, that's over five years. Um, if they're making a billion each, that's uh, five times th- times five, that's $25 billion. So that's cutting into their, that's a, that's about, a, if I'm doing my math correctly, uh, carry the four, you know, that's like one-ninth of the of their total, uh, of their total uh, of profit, right? So, you know, 
the, the taxes are going to be on profit. They're going to cut down into their profits. I just wonder, like, James, you think that – so you're cutting into somebody's profits. Does that mean that they have to raise the cost of borrowing so they make the same amount of profit? Is that what is that what you think is going on here? Theoretically, no. I mean, in a in – a, back in, in university when I took economics, like, the, the first thing you learn in, in – uh, Economics is that in a true competitive economy, there is no profit, right? There's there's enough to pay the wages, to to pay the rent, to pay for the capital and keep things going. There shouldn't be really there shouldn't be profit. If there's profit, that's a sign that you don't have competition. There isn't enough competition, um, and that's what these big businesses like, right? They like these kind of crooked, rigged economies where they don't have to to face off with uh, other companies on a fair level playing ground. I think a big uh, part of why this was was kept secret <clears throat> is uh, when you're dealing with like a shady industry like the financial industry uh, what would they have done had we told them hey there's going to be a 2% increase in, in a tax there's going to be a 2% tax on share buybacks right there's going to be all sorts of insider trading going on in the stock market beforehand uh, the people in the know are going to manipulate the system to make as much profit as they possibly can uh, that was the one tax that they're whining about. Uh, the other tax, I think, is a increase on income tax, and I think the same, the same rationale would apply there. Is that there would be all sorts of underhanded dealings going on <coughs> if they knew about the stuff beforehand and and uh, and all that. So good on the government for keeping a secret and and uh, and putting us in like this. I mean, the the, the share buyback tax uh, for for folks who don't know what that is, like basically that's where. Uh, the owners of a company use the profits that that company earned to basically consolidate their ownership of that company, right? Is to buy stocks off the open market and solidify, you know, and minimize the number of owners of that company. Yeah, and therefore so, increase the increase the cost of the <coughs> stocks because supply and demand, right? The fewer yeah. stocks that are out there, the more they should be worth. Yeah, and uh, absolutely, that should uh, there should be there should be a tax. There should be more tax on that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that that kind of tax whatsoever. I mean, all that's going to do is in, is discourage the consolidation of ownership. Yeah, Good. and that's I guess that's one of the points of of taxation in general is actually uh, to disincentivize certain behaviors like this this tax this stock buyback that you're talking about. Herb, what's your what's your impression of this uh, the Canadian Bankers Association? Herb? Sorry, Herb Art. Herb, I wish you know. I just wish he was here. Obviously, no. Art, uh, what, do you, what do you think about this uh, Canadian Bankers Association kind of complaining that they weren't consulted? Well, nobody consulted me when they raised my taxes. So, <laughs> you know, fair is fair. Um, I mean, to, to be fair, no, the city does have this. You know, oh, here we're we're going to consult on the budget this year, and then yeah. you, they're always going to raise your taxes anyway. Yeah, uh, like I can understand. Nobody likes to have their taxes increased, uh, me included. And uh, you, you have to understand that the government is always looking for new revenue sources. And it's like somebody said once, the government doesn't have a revenue problem, it has a spending problem. And uh, this is very obvious with the kind of spending that's been going on over the last few years. Uh, somewhere I read uh, on the, in this article, the government is searching for new revenue streams to fund federal programs while grappling with its deficit and reining in soaring spending. No, this government doesn't know the meaning of reining in soaring spending or balanced budgets for that matter. Uh, but yeah, they're always looking for more money. Uh, now, as a point that uh, James made, uh, a company only exists to make a profit. That's the only reason 
for them to be there uh, to operate. If they don't have profits, they don't exist. Uh, you don't do it just for the good of, of, of society. And uh, you need a certain amount of profit to weather the times when you do lose money. So, yeah, uh, I, I can understand uh, people don't want their profits cut with taxes. So, you know, you got to leave them enough to so that they're they're uh, profitable and uh, viable. I got I, that's that's a, a a very important point I think, but the the other one of the things that I want to get into here is some of the rationale given for this change is that the banks did so well during COVID partly because of incentives given to them by the federal government. So Part of the rationale for this is it's kind of, is some kind of like clawback from the from the federal government to the banks. Do you think that that's uh, you think that's justified? Do you think that's fair after they've after they've kind of done all this crazy incentivizing and uh, and then and then the banks are actually supposed to pay that back based on how well they did off of you know during that time? So I think that's fair. You know, it makes sense to me. Yeah, James. Yeah, and it's not just the bank. So that uh, stock buyback tax that they put would, on that applies to all corporations. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, I think we've had record record corporate profits unseen in, in something like 60 or 70 years from when COVID started. I mean, COVID represented a, a huge shift in income from the bottom tiers of society to the upper tiers of society. So, you know, I think not only just the tax on banks, but also the stock buyback tax. I think, yeah, that is a way to to kind of do something about this incredible problem we're facing. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's unprecedented, I think, what, what's going on in, in the economics and, and the inequality of our society right now. I think uh, homelessness out on the street is just a symptom of that. Uh, you know, and this is happening in every city across North America, okay? This isn't just people being lazy. This is, this is a cooked, uh, rigged economy that people uh, can't compete in, where people have are losing hope and... Uh, good on these guys for for trying to do something. Um, I don't know if I have time to just just to just to quickly on arts on arts comment sure. about profit. Uh, you know, keeping money in the bank as a business to weather the tough times. I wouldn't really call that profit. I think that's like part of part of profit, the operating right? part of the operating expense trajectory. I think where you start having problems is where you're where shareholders are extracting a huge amount of money from that income the profit that the company is earning and it's not going back into running the company it's not going into investing in the company it's not going back into weathering the hard times it's just going in the people's pockets who expect that uh, because they've they've got capital some of right? those people are pensioners or pension plans they, the profits are paying for their pension yeah i mean we we can it, we can it, get into it's the it's a good thing as you know, as Gordon Gecko said, greed yeah, is good, all, right? We yeah. all we all want to we all want to get money for nothing. Eric, do you have uh, any any anything to add on that? The federal government claiming this is kind of a response to the to the thriving business uh, environment created by COVID. Well, I mean that's the position that they took, and and you know these companies did make uh, big money during that period of time. So you could make an argument that it's time to give it back. The, the problem is that that I have anyway is there's two different. Uh, types of companies in Canada. One's a publicly traded company, the other one's a private limited company. And they both don't have the same rules and regulations. So that money that's paid out to uh, 
shareholders in a given year goes to the shareholders. It's not like they have it there the next year that they can play around with. Us guys sitting here could be the guys that have that money now because it's been paid out. So these publicly traded companies have an operating budget that's okayed by the board of directors or whatever going into the next year. That's you know that's between them and whatever that they decide. And the rest of the profits that they make has gone out to shareholders. And in some cases, they buy it back or whatever. Whereas a limited company, uh, he makes a profit. And the more profit he makes, the more taxes he makes. But he can write off any expenses or any, if he buys a new plant or something, that's all written off. And so that kind of forces him to expand his business and create jobs. I prefer that system to this publicly traded company system, but... <clears throat> that's sort of where it is, and uh, I think we sometimes get crossed between the two. That's a really in- interesting point, yeah. actually, because yeah. yeah, when you're when you're in a, you know, I own a small business, and of course, like you want to you want to meet that kind of operating expenditures. You want them to be as high as possible, so that you're not your your profits are, are the ones that are getting taxed, right? So you can you can increase, uh, for instance, salaries by doing that. You can obviously buy new uh, equipment, etc. Um, but in yeah, like you say, in a publicly traded company, they have all these responsibilities to shareholders, and that's what's 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 driving their their activity. Uh, I think we should just take a short break, and we'll be back after this to talk a little bit about uh, military units for uh, emergencies. In a confused and broken world, truth, hope, and light are found in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Join us Sundays at 7 p.m. as we host Pastor Chris Gordon of Abounding Grace Radio. Pastor Gordon preaches from all of the scriptures with a special focus on how they testify about Jesus. Brought to you by Prince George Canadian Reformed Church. Don't miss Abounding Grace Radio Sunday evenings at 7 here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. At Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, we ask numerous diabetics to monitor their blood sugar after enjoying our baked goods and then share the results with us. Some said blood sugar went up, but the change was so mild it was irrelevant. Several said their blood sugar was unchanged, and several others showed us their blood sugar actually went down after eating our baked treats. If you're diabetic, check us out for yourself. You'll love our baking at Deb's Cafe on 7th and Quebec, next to Pharmasave. Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Forecast from Environment Canada, sunny and hazy today. Wind from the south at 30, gusting to 50 starting late this morning, a high of 23. Tonight, clear with local smoke. Gusting southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 2 with a risk of frost. Sunday on Saturday, with increasing cloudiness in the afternoon and local smoke. Wind becoming southwest 20 in the afternoon, a high of 20. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with After 9 Political Panel, and I... There's this interesting story coming out. Lieutenant General Andrew Leslie is retired. Uh, he was, he's been saying in the media recently that uh, he wants to see a military unit created that can respond, like a rapid response unit, uh, to respond to emergencies, fires, floods, 
uh, etc. Um, and I, I just wonder, you know, there there are other there are other such uh, such units. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be military, but for instance, there is uh, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Association, I believe, or agency in uh, in the United States. Um, Canada has no such unit. There's all these interprovincial deals that, get, that that happen, or and international deals when we when we are bringing in people in order to respond to the, for instance, the fires here in BC. Obviously, have seen folks walking around Prince George uh, wearing the the uniforms of of different fire agencies from all across the world. Really, um, this idea that we should have a standing military unit that deals with emergencies, James, do you think this is somewhere that we should be something that we should be looking at as a as a policy initiative? I mean, as a, as a concept, probably, but I, I just don't like the idea of, um, you know, a federal agency being responsible for this. They'd probably be pretty useless uh, in the implementation. I'd much rather see some kind of local, not, not militia is the wrong word, but some kind of local, uh, more localized kind of capacity being developed. Because you look around Prince George, you know, there's, there's uh, ranchers with, with cats, there's loggers with a bunch of equipment, and this happens with forest fires now. Like back in the back in the old days, those people with that equipment near the fires, uh, they were called upon, and they had to get in there and and use that equipment. And now that's not only discouraged, but it's like basically illegal, and uh, you'll get in a lot of trouble if you if you did something like that. But um, you know, the people, local people, have knowledge of the land, the landscape. They know a thing or two about where the what's going on or how the watersheds work where the roads go to and all that right so why don't we utilize that kind of local capacity and develop something locally because at the end of the day you know down the road 30 40 50 years i think uh, i think a lot of societies are going to be a lot more self-reliant and we have to build that self-reliance starting now and turn into uh a federal agency located in auto or whatever i don't think that's uh, a real great way to go about that Mm. All right. What do you think? Is I mean, do you think that James has a has a, a good idea there to kind of mobilize people who are already on the ground? Do you think we should be training training people who are specially equipped to deal with these emergencies? It depends what kind of emergency it is. Uh, if it's an earthquake, it's a whole lot different than if it's a forest fire. So, how can you train people for all those things? Um, um, as, as I, I do agree with James as far as the forest fires are concerned. Way back in the old days when I was in the Forest Service, it was done totally different. Now they've created this huge bureaucracy. Back then they had ranger stations scattered all over the place and uh, had local knowledge and local people and everything set up. The idea back then was when you get a fire, you hit it hard and fast when it's small. Nowadays they wait till they assess it with some expert that's four hours away before they decide what they're going to do and by that time the fire is taken off i think it would have you know it, it's a bad fire here no question about it but i think it would have been not as bad had we still had the old system in place so if you're going to try and get the military federally involved that's just going to make the bureaucracy worse it's just going to add to it uh, as far as the military itself is concerned, they don't have a whole lot to do during peacetime, really. <laughs> so they should uh, always be ready, all of the military, to respond to things like this. You don't need a specialized unit. That's interesting. I mean, maybe maybe it would make sense to actually then have federal military capabilities that are m- deployable around that just go enter into the mix. Just then the whole military, you know. Yeah. Why, why have a specialized unit? Again, a specialized unit for what? Earthquakes, floods, fire, uh, invasion? Yeah, invasion, fine, but 
<laughs> Eric, I mean, this is uh, a- attempting to get some some I think resources flowing from the federal government towards you know the ability to really respond quickly to these kinds of emergencies. You think that's a good idea? Well, yeah, it's probably a good idea. Whether it should be, you know, the military that's doing it, or whether it should be some other kind of uh, situation. After the Second World War, they had uh, we used to have uh, civil defense units in Canada and in the United States, and they were basically for that purpose to respond to different kind of catastrophes or something. And then I don't know, sometime in the sixties or seventies, it all kind of got phased out. I don't think there's such a thing in Canada anymore as civil defense, but that model should be there, and it should be able to do earthquakes, forest fires, or whatever at some level. But, you know, we got three levels of government there, and, and what they're really good at is downloading, and so the federals right. download it on the province. They'll give it to the municipalities, and we'll give it to James here to go out with his his truck and his shovel and put that fire <laughs> out. You know. So we need we need to have uh, we need to really look at what we're doing now, and then see how we're going to change it. Like the armed forces say, they can't do it; they're back to the wall and they can't take on anymore because they just don't have the manpower to do it. And the Canadian armed forces is in a tough shape, and uh, they can't even get the prime minister out of India. You know, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it takes three days for crying out loud, and, and two or three planes. But anyway, he made it. He, tried <laughs> he had an offer from the uh, government of India, but he said, "No, no, we'll get out of here. Don't worry about it." <laughs> Do they start but, charging you know, him rent on the tarmac there? <laughs> no, we start getting. We're we're just not looking after our money, and we're not responsible in how it's being spent or whatever when art was talking like about uh, you know local people responding to fires and that uh, well we did but we had three or four hundred mills in the bush and they were first line responders we don't have them anymore and uh, so we've lost all that so we don't have that quick response for the mill and his crew can get on that fire right away and now the other part of it just to touch on it is we also have a situation where we can have and did have uh, raging forest fires up North of uh, north of here and a few other areas, and then some in Kelowna and other areas, they pulled all the fire fighting people out of the the northern big fire areas because nobody lives there, and went and fought fires in in um, more metropolitan areas, and uh, then they turn around and, and when they do their stats, they say, well, you know, 150,000 uh, hectares of forest burned. Well, yeah, because we let it burn. If we had a different way of looking after that, it wouldn't have burned. So that's interesting. I mean, the what what I the concern that I guess I would have it, it aligns with what you folks have been saying about you know the concern with with making another bureaucracy is, and we've been seeing this in this fire season. There's kind of this ownership idea. Of course, you need to have coordination uh, if you're going to be if if non non experts or non government actors going to be out there in the bush kind of doing this work. They need to be coordinated so they're not stepping on each other's toes or, or, or you know, heaven forbid, actually injuring each other through through uh, uncoordinated actions. But what I've what I the impression that I get is that some of these agencies who are responsible for fighting these fires or responding to these emergencies, they they really want the ownership over the whole operation, right? Um, and and it's not really the, I guess, culture of those agencies to be cooperating with 
you know, your small, your small logging operator or whoever it is that's going to operate that piece of machinery, right? Um, so it seems to me like you would really need to have a, if, if we were, if we were to have to a, a more civil defense force, if that's the way that we wanted to go, you'd really need to have to change the culture in those agencies to enable them to have non-professionals or, you know, semi, semi-professional people engaged. Yeah, great point, Rez. I think uh, a, a cultural kind of um, problem you have with once you get big bureaucracies involved is it becomes less about solving the problem and more about uh, whose turf it is and, and, and who gets the credit and, and who gets to get the promotion uh, in the bureaucracy after the fact. And and I think that's one of the, the nice things about, you know, local local agencies or local efforts to deal with, with any kind of issue is it's is it's about uh, it's about the local community. It's about dealing with the problem at hand. Uh, it's about working together and, uh, you know, you, you know each other and, and you know what the greater good is. Whereas when you have somebody kind of a carpetbagger kind of dropped in, parachuted into a situation, uh, you can't guarantee that's always going to happen. I mean, having said that, it's obviously important to have that kind of upper tier sort of level of skill uh, that you'd get from some kind of federal agency. But why can't we um, spend money now kind of training locals? How to do that? I think at the end of the day, anything done. Uh, there's an old principle in, in democracy and government where if it can be done locally, uh, that's that's uh, that's who should do it. Yeah. Um, and I think you know a lot of these disaster response situations. I think I think that's uh, that would be true. To be fair, they do have some training. I've seen it like some posters around at CNC, like for just very basic training for folks who, who are going to go out on the fire line and you know use shovels and picks, etc. But the, the stuff you're talking about is a little more coordination, right, with, with big, big equipment. All right, well, let's take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. UNBC's Northern Sports Center is presenting their Seniors' Day Open House. If you're 50 or older, join the Northern Sports Center for fun and free fitness activities Sunday, October 1st. Bring your indoor shoes and take the facility tour for a chance to win a Northern Sports Center membership and more. Check the National Seniors' Day Open House page under events at unbc.ca for a detailed schedule of activities. The Seniors' Day Open House, 10 to 3, Sunday, October 1st at your Northern Sports Center. Be on hand for another unforgettable, uplifting experience as the World Religions Conference invites you to celebrate their 18th anniversary. The topic of this year's free event is the question of timeless suffering. Admission is free with an East Indian dinner included in the Trinity United Church Conference Room at 5th and Union. For registration or more information, visit worldreligionsconference.ca or call 1-877-767-1965. The 18th Annual World Religions Conference, 6 30 to 8 30 Monday evening. At Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, we ask numerous diabetics to monitor their blood sugar after enjoying our baked goods and then share the results with us. Some said blood sugar went up, but the change was so mild it was irrelevant. Several said their blood sugar was unchanged, and several others showed us their blood sugar actually went down after eating our baked treats. If you're diabetic, check us out for yourself. You'll love our baking at Deb's Cafe on 7th and Quebec, next to Pharmasave. <laughs> 
Check out Creative Space Sunday at Two Rivers Gallery. Join in for an activity inspired by Jude Griebel's Dismantled Worlds and examine your footprint this Sunday at 1. Featuring a new activity each week, Creative Space Sunday is free for members with a nominal fee for non-members. It's a drop-in event with no registration required. Come by yourself, with your family, or with friends for a unique exhibition activity during the next Creative Space Sunday, 1 o'clock this Sunday afternoon at Two Rivers Gallery. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Back to federal politics. Uh, This last weekend was the big conservative convention in Quebec City. Uh, Pierre Poilievre, the new new leader for the convention anyway, for for these uh, kinds of conventions, um, had what everyone is saying is a very unified kind of convention, a lot of support for the party. A lot of people were saying, you know, this is... This is the first time they've seen this kind of unity since uh, the this this brand of the Conservative Party was was launched in what 2003, right? They've also got a new logo, and you know it seemed to be like a, a really uh, positive experience for a lot of the folks who were there. Um, I wanted to talk about a few of the more, I guess, uh, those policy uh, decisions that were made on the floor by delegates that have been most kind of talked about. And I want to see, like, do we think that these moves are going to improve or uh, make it harder for Polyev to to maintain this huge lead that he's got right now and then get elected in, what is it, next year or two years from now? Um, so we had, it, it was interesting, we had uh, banning what they call gender-affirming uh, care for for minors, like people under 18. That was one that passed. We also had bodily autonomy uh, for vaccines, so the ability to be able to refuse a vaccine. I And one thing that I found was interesting was, and it was mentioned actually at the, at the, uh, at the convention by a, a delegate, you know, bodily autonomy, shouldn't that go both ways when you're talking about this, quote, gender-affirming... Um, uh, treatment, but really, like I'm interested in, do you think that these are the kinds of things that will play well for uh, for your, you know, Dick and Jane voter art? You know, we had affordability uh, uh, policies kind of come and go, right? None of them actually got passed. Um, I'm interested to hear what you think about. You know, do you think that those things are actually going to be uh, able to carry these guys over the finish line? Uh, Hard to say. Actually, uh, Pierre is really popular right now. He's high in the polls, uh, but there's still two years or so to the next election. I think he's peaking too soon, and uh, the Liberals and NDP are going to throw the kitchen sink at him between now and then. They're going to smear him with every single slur they can think of. So uh, it might be effective. I, I kind of doubt he can keep the, ma- the momentum going that long. As far as these policies, well, you talk about uh, bodily autonomy. Well, there's a difference between adults and children. You know, they they said, no, you can't mutilate and uh, destroy these children's lives and sterilize them. And, uh, you know, that that kind of stuff that's going on with kids nowadays where they're uh, brainwashing them and convincing them that they're a different sex than they really are. And, uh, and doing this to children and youth who... Uh, really shouldn't have the, the same adult rights as adults when it comes to that. Uh, 
for adults, they they got no problem with like that with that at all. If you want to go ahead and have the operations, you go right ahead and do it. I had a friend who used to live here uh, who was a trans woman, and uh, I'm under no illusions that this is actually a woman, but she presented herself as a woman. It would be impolite to do anything else, so I refer to her in the female. But she told me back when she had the conversion that it was only adults allowed and they had to live as if for two years before any action could be taken, before they could start getting ready for the operation or taking hormones or things like that. Now, you you take a kid into the doctor and the first visit they start prescribing the hormone treatment and uh, it's terrible what they're doing. It's worse than the eugenics practices of the last century, really. Um, So... So do you think? Uh, I, think I mean, uh, is the, do you think that opinion is shared by one? Do you think that opinion is shared by voters? And two, do you think it's the thing that they're going to care about enough to vote on it? Well, there's a good question. Now, you won't find out till uh, the election happens. And what's happened with the conservatives now is that this is a uh, an actual conservative position. You know, small c conservative, and so many of the conservatives are always afraid of taking actual small c conservative positions they always want to sort of move to the left to be appealing to voters uh, i wouldn't say i would say distinguish this between small c and whatever but social conservative right well if you want to go social conservative versus fiscal small conservative. C, by that i mean not party okay so uh, a lot of the big c conservatives like the party uh that that is what why they failed the last uh, two elections because They've kind of they thought, okay, if we want to get elected, we have to be more like the liberals. We have to be liberal light. Well, actual small C conservatives don't vote for them. They feel betrayed. And I think this is what we have here now. You have the the true conservatives saying, okay, this is is what we're going to do, and uh, the the scared conservatives saying, no, we got to be more like the liberals and NDP. So that's the conflict there. For the time being, it seems that the true conservatives have won out. Whether that will play out in the election remains to be seen. Uh, Eric, what do you think about this? Uh, these moves and whether that improves their electability. I do want to say, like, it seems strange to me. I still think it's strange this bodily autonomy doesn't extend to like the eighteen-year-old thing. Seems to be a pretty arbitrary number, and treatment for something should be between a patient and their doctor, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, Eric, like this. Uh, do you think that this is like I'm asking this question more and more because it seemed to me like the strategists that I was hearing being interviewed didn't want to touch this stuff with the ten foot pole, which tells me they might have information that says this is not actually the electability thing. This is not the thing that is most important for elections. But it was the it seemed very important to the the delegates at that convention, right? So are we talking about a, a small minority of people who care about this thing, or do you think it's actually something that's much larger? Well, Unless I misread it or something, I thought that those two issues, although they were discussed on the floor and that, never got into the uh, the final. They votes. did. Oh yeah. Did they get in there? They the the uh, bodily sorry the um, gender affirming care one passed with a low majority of sixty nine percent. Everything else was passing like near a hundred. Yeah, but did it go to the the final? Dealer was that just? Yeah, those are now like those are in the the, con- the, the conservative party's hmm. 
policy book. That's yeah, the point they, of a convention. They just kind of put it out there with little window dressing and then kept everybody happy and then carried on. Now, I don't disagree with, uh, I thought it was 16 years old that they were concerned about. 18. 18. Anyway, that, you know, people, whatever age they get to 16, 18 or something, uh, you have to have some sort of way that they can make decisions because if you don't, they're just going to, God knows what they're going to do. And as far as the uh, inoculations go, uh, I mean, at one time, that was standard procedure. You got a card from the school, you took it home, had five or six different uh, deals on there you could get a needle for your parents signed off on the ones they agreed with. Ones they didn't agree with, they didn't sign. You took it back to school. That was the end of it. Never seemed to be a problem. But uh, now they want to, you get everything and they don't give you a second choice. And we have a number of uh, situations where maybe that wasn't a good idea, you know. Uh, I'm a little concerned about mass inoculation of everybody because I mean is it just to create a bunch of jobs that I don't know I mean personally myself I don't do I do probably I did do the COVID thing but I did it because of the breathing aspect associated with COVID not because of the the rest of it I could visualize myself trying to breathe there and, and all I got to do is take this inoculation and I probably wouldn't be struggling like that so I took it so another people may have done it for different reasons but uh, who knows? Science. What's good today is can kill you tomorrow, because they didn't do enough, <laughs> stu- enough studying on it. So we'll let James sort it out. All right, James. We're going to have to take a short break before we get into it. So we'll be back after these messages. An innovative and captivating contemporary dance showcase hits the Playhouse November 9th and 10th. Conversations in Six from Method Dance Society will unite celebrated choreographers from across Canada with dancers and audiences from around Prince George. Tickets for Conversations in Six are available through eventbrite.ca. Be on hand to experience firsthand the transformative power of contemporary dance. Conversations in Six from Method Dance Society, November 9th and 10th at the Playhouse. Get your tickets today through eventbrite.ca. The Prince George RCMP is currently investigating an arson that occurred during the September long weekend on the Mackenzie Lookout Forest Service Road. When employees returned to the site on Tuesday, September 4th, they found three of their machines burned beyond repair. The estimated cost of the damaged equipment is $1 million. If you have any information relating to this incident, please contact the Prince George RCMP's non-emergency line at 250-561-3300. The Clucas Lake Country Jamboree is back for a weekend of music and fun through Sunday. Admission is available at the door and it's $40 for the weekend or 18 for a single day and free for children under 12. All proceeds go to the Klukas Lake Community Association. For more information, call 250-441-3555. Three full days of family-friendly entertainment. The Klukas Lake Country Music Jamboree through Sunday at Klukas Lake Hall on Lund Road. Forecast from Environment Canada. Sunny and hazy today. Wind from the south at 30, gusting to 50 starting late this morning. A high of 23. Tonight clear with local smoke, gusting southwest winds becoming light this evening, a low of 2 with a risk of frost. Sunday on Saturday with increasing cloudiness in the afternoon and local smoke, wind becoming southwest 20 in the afternoon, a high of 20. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, James, we're talking about the Conservative Convention. You know, the main question here is, do you think that those those high, kind of high publicity 
convention points that policies that were passed, the uh, banning of gender-affirming treatment for uh, minors and the bodily autonomy for vaccines. Do you think that that's going to be able to actually be a a point that the conservatives can use in their campaign, or are they going to kind of quietly walk that away so they can try to get a majority government? Yeah, I think uh, I think humanity is kind of funny at the at the big picture. You know, we focus on all these these things that can divide us, and I guess you call it kind of culture wars, and we uh, we ignore the big picture stuff that I think is is the fundamental threat that's facing our society, which aren't these questions on on gender and uh, vaccine autonomy. I think uh, fundamentally it's about inequality and. Uh, how we're going to get on with the society with these uh, climate changes that we're seeing and, uh, you know, if we're still going to be able to p- produce food and and if we're going to be able to basically survive as a society. And I think, uh, you know, Pierre kind of went off on us a little bit. To a, he was one of the only leaders talking about uh, these huge monopolies kind of uh, rigging the economy. And, and, you know, he made some statements like that, but you don't hear him talk about that anymore. Uh, he made some, some pretty well-received uh, posts about housing affordability and, and how to you know, get um, get more housing built on federal <coughs> lands and and close to uh, transit centers. You know, he's not talking about that stuff anymore. Those are the things I think that that fundamentally are going to really matter in in twenty years. But uh, you know, instead the focus is on um, vaccine autonomy and gender affirming care. I mean, there's we could have a whole show on that stuff. I mean, I'm I'm kind of of the philosophy that. Uh, we should respect personal freedom, hundred hundred percent. You know, like what you want, how you want to express yourself as a as an individual. That's that's up to you. Um, that's none of my business. Is is how I look at it. As far as um, you know, uh, t- having these operations when you're a minor, I think it's definitely something that we can have a discussion on. I don't think you should be called a bigot uh, for you know saying. Um, that you have a problem with that. You know, if, if, if parents at school boards want to go and address the school district board and talk about that, that's, uh, they should be allowed to do that. Um, I think my, my kind of view on the whole thing is, is how come we've, we've lost, uh, the tolerance of ambiguity. You know, I think back in the, in the seventies and eighties, you know, you had these, uh, hair rocker bands that dressed up like uh, women and, and, you know, you had people like David Bowie who were a little bit androgynous. Like what, what was wrong with that? You know, I think we accepted that, and now it's now you got to get uh, you got to be one or the other. You can't exist in this kind of uh, in between world uh, where where your sex isn't and your gender isn't clear. Uh, you've got to affirm the gender, which I I, f- I kind of feel is a little bit fundamentally uh, intolerant of that middle ground that uh, we as uh, humans have have lived with. You know, before we had the advancement of medical science for for as long as we've been around. You know, so. Now that we have the technology to do this, all of a sudden, um, you know, that uh, that ambiguity is no longer tolerable. So I, I think, you know, these are stepping stones to, to, to go into a way longer discussion about this stuff than we have uh, today's show. I, I think uh, the conservative convention uh, shows that uh, they're going for their base. They're going to get uh, probably get some more support from their base for these kind of social, uh, divisive social issues and ignoring the big picture economic uh, bread and butter kind of issues that I think are the more important ones in the big picture. I mean, to be fair, uh, like, to go back to your early point, Polyev is banging the drum on affordability, right? Um, but the question is, like, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find which policies were passed on affordability. I think only one was passed, 
Art, do you remember this? No, no. I don't. Um, and and this is like it's it's. I find it interesting that like those you're talking about. Yeah, the gender ambiguity. I think that is is an important concept for society. Um, these things about uh, the uh, the uh, gender affirming care is like such a tiny sliver of the population, but it gets the most of our. And I'm guilty of it too. Here, I put it on the I put it on the topic. Right, it gets the most of our of our attention. When in fact we should be thinking about, as you said, like how to how to sustainably uh, manage our food and how to make sure things are actually affordable, and whether like this is this is the thing that I I'm wondering about. Like, are those kinds of um, almost um, like novelty issues the things that we should be really deciding our uh, our elections on? That's the like well, that's the big well, point give, that give, I've got. Given uh, you know, given the bigger uh, stakes at play, I mean, and and the amount of time we spend talking about this stuff, it's totally out of whack. In my opinion. Well, we've got. Uh, I'm going to move on to this real tragedy. Actually, um, in in uh, last week in Chinatown, uh, there was, they were having a big celebration, uh, and there was a triple stabbing. Um, although no one was killed, people are in stable condition. Uh, the perpetrator, this Blair Evan Donnelly, was actually in the care of the forensic psychiatric hospital in. Coquitlam because he was found not criminally responsible for uh, stabbing his daughter to death in 2008. Uh, and a year later, in 2009, he was released on a day pass, an unaccompanied day pass, and stabbed someone again. Uh, this, I, you know, Premier Eby was, was very uh, upset about this. Counselors were very upset about this. I kind of wanted to ask... Like, we talked last week about the Ministry of Child and Family Development and thought, well, it's really the people who are making these decisions at the lower levels that should be held responsible for some of the some of the really bad things that have happened under the, that ministry's uh, aegis. But here, should we be should we be actually holding the government to account in some ways? Like, is it the uh, should the justice uh, system be like who's who do we hold accountable for this? Because this is crazy. This guy has been let out twice and has stabbed people twice. How do we? How how does that even happen? Yeah, interesting point. The uh, that one individual in there that's sort of defending the uh, situation the way it, it is now says that these one or two instances over I don't know ten or fifteen years or something uh, is not a, a, a clear picture of what's really happening. So this is kind of like, you know, yeah, this happened, but that's not what happens with all the other people. Because when he's in the hospital, yeah. he's not stabbing people? Is this the idea? Yeah, like, yeah. So or when you let him out, not everybody you let out stabs people. But we, we all focus on the one that does and pay no attention whatsoever to, to those that don't. So, Is this the same idea as we're still driving cars, even though they're, the, they're killing more people than just about anything else? Yeah, but, okay. but we look at the ones with, that don't kill people. So... Yeah, no, it's uh, it's the easy way out. It's you know you give give somebody a an extra door in the room, they'll take it, get it, get out of there, so they don't have to deal with it. Uh, an example would be like the uh, NDP had a when they first came into power had a, a system there that they were going to audit municipalities, and they audited about two of them. And they found some things that didn't look too good, 
and it could cause all kinds of uh, grief down the road. Next thing you know, they're not doing it anymore. I am not talking about it either, but my only conclusion there is that if they actually audited the different levels of government on a regular basis, they couldn't stand that. They couldn't stand that people looking at them and seeing what they're doing wrong and actually firing some people for the, what they're doing. It. And I think this is part of the same thing. If you look at them too close, maybe you're going to have to start getting rid of some people for not doing their jobs correctly. That person got out there going through a process where so-called normal people on panels, whatever, looked at all the information and said, yes, this guy is going to be okay or should be okay, and they let him out, and then something goes awry. And then they move on to the next thing. You know, and I guess it's just a one-off or whatever. And I think it's more serious than that. We'll have to take a short break. We'll be back after this. The Prince George Chamber of Commerce 38th Annual Business Excellence Awards is fast approaching. Set for Friday, October 20th at the Playhouse, the list of nominees in 12 different categories is available online through pgchamber.ca. Voting for each category is also available online. Tickets and other details are available under the events menu at pgchamber.bc.ca. The Prince George Chamber of Commerce 38th Annual Business Excellence Awards, a golden evening of excellence, Friday, October 20th at the Playhouse. Be on hand for another unforgettable, uplifting experience as the World Religions Conference invites you to celebrate their 18th anniversary. The topic of this year's free event is the question of timeless suffering. Admission is free with an East Indian dinner included in the Trinity United Church Conference Room at 5th and Union. For registration or more information, visit worldreligionsconference.ca or call 1-877-767-1965. The 18th Annual World Religions Conference, 6 30 to 8 30 monday evening if you have a great garden this year and want to get a start on next year's garden the nachaco branch of the public library is holding a seed saving workshop on september 23rd from 1 to 3 you'll be getting seed saving tips from the prince george master gardeners and the david douglas botanical garden society if you participated in the seed library this is a chance to return your saved seeds to the library the Seed Saving Workshop is a free drop-in event September 23rd from 1 to 3 at the Nachaco branch of the Public Library. Most everyone knows not to drink and drive and realizes that even small amounts of alcohol can be risky. But do we understand that drinking small amounts during the pregnancy can be harmful for the growing baby even in those early weeks before the pregnancy has been confirmed? We encourage you to learn more and to see what is happening in your community about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and join in working towards reducing both the impact and the incidence. This message has been brought to you by Angela Geddes Integrative Support and Wellness. AngelaGettis.ca. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. James, what do you think we should do about this? Uh, who's responsible for letting this guy out this is the first one. Well, I, I think it's time for uh, ministerial accountability come into play here. If the minister is mourning the uh, the ministry, even if they had no direct knowledge of this decision, um, you know, they, they need to be held accountable. They need to resign, and that, that person needs to get replaced. I mean, at, at the end of the day, the uh, that's why we elect people. That's why we have uh, what's called a democracy, is uh, for people to be held accountable. Okay, and if uh, if they can't fix the the process, or if if, um, if you know they're they're going to tolerate uh, uh, bureaucrats underneath them who are making these kinds of uh, poor decisions, uh, they they should be held accountable. They should be, uh, and it shouldn't just be this one ministry. I think uh, 
I think, when was the last time a minister in British Columbia resigned because of uh, mismanaging their ministry? I don't, I don't think ever. Not in this government, no. Like, I, I don't remember one since for, for a long, long time. And I think uh, we need to start demanding more of that. Uh, you know, it might uh, light a fire under some of these politicians and, and get them to be a little more proactive on their files. I mean, the Ministry of Forests is a great example. Uh, Bruce Ralston's not really doing anything. You know, there's there's tons of incompetence uh, at the upper echelons of that ministry, um, and not, nothing's ever come of it. You know, and and with these forest fires that we just had, and and highlighting the, the mismanagement of our forests, and and this this mismanagement is continuing, and Ralston will just keep on walking along and and uh, not be held accountable for anything. So I think that's got to stop, and and these uh, politicians uh, start needing to uh, be held accountable for for things like this. Art, we were talking about entrenched bureaucracies a couple of weeks ago. Um, should the ministers be held responsible for the actions that are undertaken under the, at their watch? And if we if we do hold them more responsible for that through getting rid of them, uh, would that result in in a in a more active political uh, echelon there, a political level in terms of managing those bureaucracies? Well, the question is who let them out. It wasn't the politicians. The politicians are not psychiatric experts. I mean, this guy's in a psychiatric facility. Uh, he's been found uh, not criminally responsible because of his uh, mental condition. And uh, so the politicians, they defer to the experts, the psychiatrists, the psychologists. They're, if they second-guess them, if they start overriding them, yeah, then you, you hold the politicians accountable. But they didn't. They, they did what they're supposed to do. It's the experts who screwed up here. I mean, the guy stabs his daughter to death. When they let him out, he stabs somebody else. Why would you let him out a third time? You know, uh, Come on. Uh, so somebody in there ha- has uh, made a huge mistake. Uh, I'm, I'm most of the time when they let these people out, no, it's it's not a problem. But, boy, on this one, they sure made a mistake. They didn't read the signs. It's, especially after he'd done it twice, they should have wised up that he's going to do it again. Hopefully, they'll never let him out again now. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable, actually, that, that, that he did it. He was able to get out twice and do it twice. Yeah, I think you've you've got you got professionals, you've got professional standards. But at the end of the day, uh, the the democracy, the people have a say over those professional standards and those policies. So, may, maybe that's what uh, these politicians need to start taking a, a second look at: is uh, what what are the policies at play here, and and how are these professional associations regulating them, regulating themselves? I think that's another another question. Hmm. Um, I just want to finish off today with another. Uh, I, I feel like we could start a new Cold War paranoia. Uh, we got Putin and Kim joining uh, joining hands across the uh, the Great Divide of North Korea to Russia. I mean, uh, and and coming together for this huge like like it was it was like a you know an old time almost uh, Soviet era. Uh, kind of display of friendship camaraderie you know they were they were touring the new uh, cosmodrome the new uh, you know where they, where they launch things into space from russia um right right before this meeting north korea uh launched a couple of short-range ballistic missiles into the sea uh i you know the concern here is obviously that russia has actually way more um, technological capacity and could be shipping that over to uh to north korea uh james what are we to make of this and 
like, do we need to to start being a little more active in putting those bad actors in a box? Yeah, I don't know if anything intelligent to offer on this on this topic. Um, yeah, it's it's just should we be afraid? Very afraid. Uh, I, I think there's um, I think uh, there's a lot to be afraid of. I don't know if it's uh, saber rattling from North Korea and Russia that, frankly, has been going on for decades. Um, I, I don't really see the, the the news story there. To be honest, uh, I don't know, Eric. What do you got? What do you got on that? Well, just uh, off the top of my head, that uh, after the Second World War, Korea was split fifty-fifty. Fifty percent went to Russia. Fifty percent was run by the U.S. This went on for a long time. <clears throat> I didn't realize. I just kind of did a quick check here, but it was Yeltsin that uh, stopped that, and he said, "We're not supporting North, North Korea. Korea anymore," and he just stopped it. And I guess hundreds of thousands of people st- starved to death because couldn't trade with Russia anymore. Kind of forgot about that. Huh. So it kind of went full circle, and now they're buddies again because there's a different need and want to be seen on the world stage as world players, and uh, Russia needs some ammunition, I guess. But no, I'm not overly concerned about it. I, I, but I'm going from the, the point of view that if I was in their position, you know, would I poke the bear with a stick or would I just kind of keep my eye on him? I think I just keep my eye on him, but but I'm not totally afraid of him, you know, because I got something to stop him if he does get carried away. Art, you got last word. Yeah, there is reason for concern. Putin is one of the worst actors out there, so naturally he'll be friendly with the other bad guys. But he's not a rational man. He's getting his butt kicked in Ukraine, and he doesn't like to lose. And uh, what extremes will he go to when he he can't win? Yeah, and then you've it's, got... It can get scary. I mean, Kim is also unstable and just yep. launching these... You know, Yeah, they land in the ocean now, 